everybody, and welcome back to another Pink Bike Podcast, and welcome to my shop where I'm sitting down with a guy who's putting out some of the most ridiculous riding videos you can imagine, which usually involves some pretty high-consequence moves and huge drops, but we're going to get to that stuff. But first, Remy, thanks for coming to hang out. Uh, did you ride bikes this morning? Did you ski this morning? It's pretty shitty out there. Yeah, definitely did not ride bikes, but uh, I skied. And, and thanks for having me, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, I am stoked to finally have you in here. We've talked a few times briefly in a couple places. You're a tech dork, so I immediately gravitate towards talking to you, of course. So we're going to talk about bike gear. Um, we're also going to talk about you immigrating to Canada from Europe. Uh, racing World Cups, what your job looks like behind the scenes. You create a lot of content. Bike setup, of course, how you ride those fucking ridiculous lines. Remy, what the heck? I'm always worried for you. Like, sometimes, like, I watch them. I have to push pause on your videos. Like, I'm, I'm nervous for you. <laughs> well, that's, that's kind of the goal. Yeah, okay. If, if you look at it and you're not slightly impressed, then I, I probably don't do my job correctly. So Okay, well, color, color me impressed. But I want to start somewhere else first. So you're out there doing this crazy ass shit, Remy. And then I see online that you broke your back doing something like that usually would be almost inconsequential, you know, relatively speaking. That's crazy, eh? Like you do this crazy stuff, but then life gets you somewhere else. Well, so when I fell, I wasn't actually moving. I stopped on a bridge. I unclipped and I basically put my foot next to the bridge. So what happened is I was riding with Kylian Brown, uh, another French guy, and we had an incredible day and it was a really big day. It was really hot. That was during like, you know, the hottest time of the of the summer. And I shot Kylian around and we you know, it was it was a big day of riding. But I, I was feeling really good. I was I was really happy with my riding and we had a really good time. And long story short we are going back down from the top of the mountain to the car and I'm on the front and you know when everything clicks and you do I don't sorry <laughs> I'm sure you do <laughs> you know when you you feel like you're riding well you're breaking yeah. at the right spot uh you know you're looking ahead you're picking up good lines even it was a good it, day it was a good day was, up there it was a really good day and I was already looking forward to making dinner and, and have a good food and um it was getting really, really dark. It was like 9 p.m. Yeah. and we're in a forest. And I told Kilian, I stop and I say, hey, if you want to go fast, go ahead of me. I, I just can't. It's, it's getting too dark. I'm done for the day. So now I'm just going to cruise back to the car. Responsible. Yeah, very responsible. And he's like, no, you're right. It's too dark. So he goes ahead of me, but doesn't know the trail. I don't know it either. I, you know, I've done it, you know, once maybe. Yeah. And so we go really slow and we go up on that little bridge and for some reason it jumps off the right of the bridge. Instead of going straight, like following the trail, it jumps on the side of the bridge, which kind of caught me off guard. Yeah. And he kind of stopped at the landing, realizing that there was no, no way to go. And so I stopped, but I was on the bridge. Yeah. And I lost my balance and I fell off on a dry creek and I tried to jump as far as I could on the side to not fall at the bottom but I did it my my ribs and my backpack on the side of the creek but I still fell down to the bottom and it was not very high how far like five six feet yeah but it was like you know very awkward I was yep. still tangled with the bike because I jumped but I was on the bike at the moment I jumped so the bike fell with me and 
it was just like very not impressive and very painful. Did you knew right away this is real bad? And did you get out on your own or did you need help? Uh, so I assessed and I knew my <clears throat> my spinal cord was good because I actually broke the transversal vertebra. But at the time I thought I'd broken my hip. And Whoa. so I was able to, it was really painful, but I was able to stand up and it was dark. And so I was like, if we have to get search and rescue, it's going to take them, you know, a long time to come here. And so I was like, Kilian was able to push my bike down. Mia was able to walk to the fire road. And I knew that from the fire road, I could just cruise down to the car. Yeah. And so I was able to do that. And when we went to the hospital, they, you know, I told them I broke my hip. So they x-rayed my hip. Yeah. And they're like, no, yeah, your, your, your hip is fine. And I was like, no, it's, it's impossible. Like the pain is, the pain is really yeah. strong. And they're like, no, you, like you, you're walking. You, you won't be walking if you had broken your hip. Long story short, the next day, it's it's really bad. It's getting much worse, and I had a nerve pain, which I'd never experienced before. I didn't know what That's it was. That's a crazy feeling, eh? Oh, I was other, like... It's a whole other world. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't even know that. Uh, you know, I, I thought I was really strong to pain. Yeah. But that nerve pain is something else. Yeah. And uh, I go to Whistler, and they do a scan, but they do a scan from higher up, and mm. the doctor comes back. He's like, well, good news. You didn't break your hip. Uh, but the problem is that you broke three transversal vertebra and two of them are displaced. But so fortunately, they were displaced away where they thought that it would heal by itself, which very fortunately it did. Mm -hmm. But the nerve pain was, was absolutely awful. Yeah, I had some nerve stuff going on in my hip, actually, in my right hip. And I spent, well, I was out for three weeks and I spent three days laying in bed and, and the pain was in my hip. Remy, I was scared to move my fingers. I was scared to turn my head. Like, it was crazy. Yeah, yeah. that's that's exactly uh, what happened. Like, I I was scared to lay in bed yeah. because I knew that once I was laying in the bed, I was fine. But in order to lay, I knew I was getting that electric shock. Yeah. Oh. And then waking up. You know, you wake up in the morning and you're like, ah, now I have to try to get on my feet. And you, I knew I was going to get like the worst pain possible. And to the point, I thought I was going to call the... Because I was living by myself. And I thought I was going to call the 911 yeah. to help me get out of the of bed. Yeah, You know, I did it the first time. Second time, but I was to the point I thought I was going to pass out from the pain. <laughs> Look at us. Just a couple old cripples here complaining about our backs. <laughs> and my Nerves. and my physio was like, as soon as the bone is going to start to heal, yeah. the pain is going to go away. Yeah. But for the first week, I was like, I, I can't picture it getting better without surgery. Like, yeah. it seems so far to, you know, evolve in a positive way that unless you mechanically fix it, like I couldn't picture it getting better. But it's, you know, after two weeks, once the bone started to stick back together, yeah, uh, it was day and night. Like every hour was better. Yeah. It was crazy. How long has it been and where are you at with your back right now? So I'm like 100%, but I think I do have nerve damage just below the skin. So like my skin feels, it's not painful, it's not uncomfortable, it's, let's let's call it weird. Yeah. So just at the same time where I was getting those electric shock, it's, yeah, it's just a little bit weird, but it doesn't bother me, it doesn't hurt, it's not uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, Had you ever, so you're out there doing all this crazy shit in the bushes, had you ever had like a serious injury like that from any of the stuff you've been up to lately? I don't think I ever crashed or 
uh, got hurt from doing like uh, you know something really outside of my comfort zone. Yeah. Like every single crash that I've had that I can think of. Yeah. I was was, was doing something stupid because when I do those turns, like my level of focus. I was is, just gonna say, it speaks to your focus. Like the level of focus I have is, you know, I put my phone in airplane mode. Yeah. Like some stuff, I put my phone in airplane mode, just because I don't want to get a text. You know, at the moment you're running yeah. for your speed, you and need like, to be you present, know, dude. To do this Especially if you, you know, imagine you expect you expect an email that's really important, and. <laughs> You're doing like you're running for a big drop. Your phone vibrates. Yeah. And you're like, oh, you know, what did they reply? Uh, did they, you know, w- whatever that might be. And yeah. so you don't want any kind of distraction. So I go as far as putting the phone in airplane mode. Yeah. So we're going to we're gonna talk about how, the, your strategies, I should say, to writing how you do. Because I, I don't think you're just going out there. You're obviously not just going out there willy-nilly doing this. So later on in the show, we're going to get to that. But first... I want to start off uh, with you coming to Whistler. What first of all, what part of Quebec are you from, Remy? <laughs> I'm uh, I'm from the part called Nice, you know, okay, on the yeah. on the south of France. So, how did you end up in Whistler, and why did you come here? I assume well, it was for bikes. But. So, actually, 2004, I saw my first video that I can remember of uh, Whistler, and it was a Crankworks recap. On a website called Pink Bike, I've heard of that place. With with uh, with that song from Guanapes. Yeah, yeah. And I would I would watch that video on repeat, and uh, you know, with or maybe one day. That's when I started mountain biking. Yeah. When I started, you know, having an actual interest for proper mountain biking. Yeah. And um, and yeah, ever since I wanted to go, obviously the financial, um, basically the cost of coming to to Whistler for some holidays is something I could never afford. Yeah. Um, but then I went to business school and part of my idea with business school was to, you know, finish my education uh, in France and then instead of getting a job in France, try to take a one or two year, what's called um, working holiday visa mm-hmm. to Canada. So I would be able to experience Whistler, discover Vancouver and, you know, basically do my dream, which was, to ride the bike park and ski Whistler. Yeah. And at the same time, you know, have a job. So basically that won't be holidays. That would be just a work slash holiday. Yeah. So that's what I did. And one of the reasons I was able to do that is because I met um, a few years prior, I met in France, one of my, you know, one of my best friends, Sylvain, which had been to Whistler prior. And he told me that he was going to go and he ended up going back to Whistler like the year prior to me. And, you know, having someone that you know when you move to a different country, like, makes a huge, huge difference. Makes, and you, makes you feel like home more. I, I don't know if I would have done it if I didn't have anyone to pick me up at the airport. Because, you know, at the time, like, I never never lived alone. Yeah. How was your English back then? I like to think that it was, it was pretty good, but yeah. if you ask around. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I asked around, Remy. Trust me. <laughs> it's funny. No, like, I think my... My writing was always pretty good. Yeah. Because I went to business school and so I had a lot of classes in English, but my pronunciation was, and still is obviously, uh, pretty bad. At the time, it was pretty awful. Yeah. And uh, I think that uh, handicapped me a lot. And it's funny, when I meet people now, they, they tell me that my English still is uh, is pretty, uh, pretty embarrassing, but at the time, they could not even understand me. 
To be fair, you're probably pronouncing more words correct in English than I am during this podcast. So. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> this week's Pink Bike Podcast is presented by The Pros Closet. The off-season is the perfect time to stock up for spring. Shop a wide selection of parts and apparel and a curated catalog of new and certified pre-owned bikes. The Pros Closet offers top brand and niche mountain road, gravel, and e-bikes inspected by an in-house team of experienced mechanics. Visit theprosecloset.com slash pinkbike for the year's best deals. And while you're there, enter code PBPODCAST to save $40 on your next purchase over 200 How How was that for you in those early days as, as a French guy from France, from Europe, coming over to Whistler? Whistler can be pretty clicky sometimes it could be pretty broy sometimes like how was those early years for you did you find that or did you integrate well um it yeah it's like i can see how some people would think it's clicky at the same time people are coming from all over the world yeah true. so like where you come from doesn't matter it's more for how long have you been in whistler yeah yeah so you know you're near whistler local after after so many years, right? After 10 years in staff housing, then you're at Whistler <laughs> Local, right? <laughs> yeah, basically. Um, no, no, I've never really uh, experienced that. Um, you know, everybody's coming from all over the world, which is why I guess I like so much that place. Is you know, yeah. everybody's there for the same reason. Yeah. So that's, that's what makes it so special, I think. Okay. I want to ask you a question about content creation, especially back in those early days when you were hustling. Um, I talked to a few people doing homework for this podcast, and a couple people mentioned that there was, I don't know if friction is the right word, but like you're out there like creating content, working really hard at creating content, and I got the impression that maybe some locals didn't like that. Oh yeah, totally. Well, because I was like, I was trying really hard to, you know, do videos <clears throat> and like even, even racing. Like there's a Fat Wednesday, which is supposed to be a beer league, a beer league, but go and ask. The beer league, my ass. <laughs> yeah. Go and ask, go and ask, you know, all the top guys there that, you know, were doing well. Yeah. None of them were showing up, you know, like Kovarik was putting new tires on. Yeah. And I even did one with Troy Brosman. And I was with Troy Brosman and we both waited because we thought the weather was going to improve. So we both waited to drop in. Because you can drop whenever you want, basically. Yeah. Obviously, there's a lineup. And it starts at, you know, the first riders at 4.30 p.m. And then it's until until there is no one left. So you kind of have a three-hour window to drop. And we thought the weather was going to improve. Turns out it rained in the middle. So then we had to wait the last minute. So we had a chance for the for the rocks to dry a little bit. Beer league, yeah, and so and you know, I'll put new tires on because I, I want to go as fast. But that's also what made me progress is to you know try really hard. Yeah, yeah, and um, and I guess for videos was the same. You know, you, obviously a ton of people prior to me have done videos in the bike park, and you know it's highly competitive in the sense that anybody that's good on a bike and comes to Whistler with the purpose of trying to make content yeah. is going to try out. So you you essentially compete against quite a few people and yeah. year after year. And so, you know, obviously you have to try really hard to try to dissociate yourself from, from the rest. Right. Yeah. Do you ever find, or do you ever, have you ever felt any, 
any friction from, I don't know, I don't want to say soul riders, but people that don't want you filming in their, in their, on their trail system or, or on their mountain or like blowing up their spot, maybe a way to put it. I don't know. Yeah, that's definitely a few people who, you know, like... Like, I guess, sorry, my question would be more like, you're online a lot, dude, creating content. Let's talk about internet haters. How do you deal with the comments? (laughs) Do you just ignore them? I I usually... uh, First of all, it does not affect me at all. None? No. No, like, you know, like someone behind a computer keyboard. Like, you know, a keyboard wire, like, I... No, like, yeah, it's, you know, it's funny, like, I, I mean, I read, you know, I'll watch Pink Bike article and I see some of the mean stuff that people say. Yeah. It it doesn't, it doesn't affect me now. Yeah. And so how I deal with it, I, I read it, I laugh, and sometimes I reply and I'm very sarcastic. I can tell, yeah, and, you got some good comments. And I have, uh, I have absolutely no, re- like, I have absolutely no problem to, you know, someone's going to try to bully me. Yeah, online, I, I I would have a very sarcastic and polite reply to them, but yeah, they probably understand that I, you know, was not offended by their comments. Yeah, you gotta have thick skin to do this shit. I feel like. Well, you got to be or not care. I feel like you got to be, you know, pretty. It 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 must be pretty sad to have to sit behind a computer and post, you know, gnarly and offending comments all day long. So. Yeah. At the end of the day, I I feel sorry for, you know, people having that kind of attitude. Yeah. When it's a constructive comment, though, I, sure. I I I love receiving constructive comment on like, hey, you should do, you should do this, or you know, you've done that, and I don't think that's a good idea, or you know, whatever it might be, like, someone that you can have a conversation with, it's always great. But yeah. if it's just, yeah. Yeah. Let's talk World Cups. You used to do them. How long ago was that? Oh, I've done three World Cups. I mean, that's so, yeah, some. I, that's I, some. I've attempted. Yeah, that's some. Up. Did you qualify? No, I did not. How close were you to qualifying? Uh, I think the closest I was was one second. Yeah. Uh, that was Windham. Uh, I did Monsantan twice and Windham once. So 2015 and 2016. Yeah. Did you want to be a, a racer? Was that the goal? No. I've, I mean... You know, if if you could have told me like, hey, do you want to be a world champion? Yeah, of course I would have wanted to be a world champion. But yeah. I think I, obviously I realized that, you know, I was not going to be a world champion. And there's also one thing, I do not enjoy like the racing aspect. Yeah. I like to push myself, but on my terms. And a race, you know, you are told when to go, what track to ride. If there is something on the track you don't like, well you still have to do it. Yeah. And uh, I think like racing is just not for me. It's not something I enjoy, but I, I, you know, obviously I tried and, you know, I wish it had worked out. Um, At the same time, I'm glad it didn't because maybe I would have been chasing, you know, a dream to, you know, maybe be on the World Cup podium and maybe I would have done, you know, 10 years of like really struggling and, you know, basically not going anywhere. An almost guy. Yeah. Which is fine, nothing wrong with that. Which is completely fine, and I'm sure, yeah. like, you know, it's, it, I think it's extremely impressive. Like, I mean, anyone taking the start of the World Cup and putting the work to go fast, it's, I'm like, I'm a huge fan of the sport, right? So, yeah, yeah. Um, like, I follow the World Cup, and, you know, I love seeing, like, guys putting a lot of effort and taking lots of risk, and when that's paying off, that's awesome. Yeah. At the same time, like, 
you know, I look at the long term and it's, you know, the World Cup thing I think is only great if you're actually winning or if you're a podium guy all the time. Right. And and I would not have been, I would not have been one. So Isn't that crazy though? Like, like anybody that's seen you ride in videos and like, it's, you, you're obviously like, you know, top 0.01% of, you know, the skills of people that ride bikes. But you can go to a World Cup race and like, you know, you're not gonna... Yeah, but it's crazy as, to me. There's levels to the game. Well, this is a, the mental as, the mental aspect is huge. Yeah, like when I got to when I got the World Cups, like my confidence level was like minus ten. Because <laughs> I do not see you having minus ten confidence, Remy. <laughs> like I think I'm I think I'm very confident, but like in in that you know in that area, yeah, you look at the track. Most of the riders. I've already been at the track. They've already been racing it. They've been racing at the highest level before, which yeah. I hadn't. Um, they've got experience going that fast on trails because there's a difference between going really fast on Samoa Pizza Cat in Whistler, yeah. where your top speed is like 30 kilometers an hour, and going really fast in Mont Saint Anne on the motorway, where, the, where <laughs> your top speed is like 80 k an hour. It's it's a different sport. Yeah, like that's how it felt going on the tr- like. You know, I think I there is some stuff where I know I I'm confident I can go really fast and even even with you know World Cup riders like on some section of trails like not now but I you know like trails that are like very where basically consequences are low yeah and I feel like it's crazy to hear you just say that though. You can go fast when consequences are low, and I, I watch you ride. None of the shit that I see you do is low consequence. But I think I build up the, like I build up the confidence. Yeah. So when when I do a video and I really push myself to the limit, on you know one section of trails, like I feel like I control every single parameter. Yeah. I know that there is no rock that slid on the trail. I know that my bike is perfectly dialed for you know that section of trail. I know that my fitness is good for that. Yeah. Um, I feel like I control so many parameters, and I I just relax, and I feel I can go to I can push to my limits. I feel like there's a level of a World Cup racer might disagree with me, but I feel like there's a level of out of controlness maybe to a race run sometimes. Whereas when I watch you ride, I didn't want to talk about this till later in the podcast, but screw it. When I watch you ride. You're so precise and so exacting. I'm not trying to blow smoke up your ass here, but like, let me, let's use this for an example. So, like Braga Vestavik, you guys, you're both free riders. You're both doing ridiculous shit, massive stuff. If you guys were to hit the same drop or the same move or whatever, like Braga's going to hit it and like dirt's going to be flying everywhere. It is flannel shirts going to be open and his hair is going to be, it's going to be wild and you're going to hit it. Like he's going to land halfway down the train. He's going to be sick. You're going to hit it. You're going to do like a sweet little like downward table and land like right at the top of the tranny. Perfect control. How do you do it? Tell me so I can do it. Well, <laughs> Braggit, I mean, he's one of the most talented riders out there. Yeah. He, he could do the same style that I do, but he chooses to have his own style. And like, because I think his style is absolutely mind blowing, and I obviously I love watching his stuff. I, I think doing what I do is easier than doing what he does. Uh, How in the world would you like I, from the outwardly looking in? I guess is my question: is like 
Braga looks more like caution to the wind, you know, like let's throw it out there. But where you look like you're analyzing it, do you think that's how it is? Well, I think he he also analyzed, like he also, you know, put a lot of time and effort into looking at a feature and seeing how to do it. But you see him like pushing himself to the limit while adding tricks yeah. or features that are not necessarily super, you know, well built. Uh, I mean, look at his massive drop, like. <laughs> He landed on the perfect spot and still the impact was absolutely huge. Yeah. Like myself, I would not even at- attempt that drop, you know. That in itself is super interesting to hear. Just very, like a very I, different I only, approach. I mean, if he attempted that drop, it's because he must have been 100% confident that he had it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously I wasn't there, but that's how I am with my features. Like if I attempt something on a trail, like whether it's a gap, something I built... If I attempt it, it's because I'm confident that I'm not going to make a mistake. How many run-ups are you doing a to lot. a high consequential move? Uh, it happened to me before to show up to you know, a line or a gap I've had and do countless of run-up. Yep. Not do it. Yep. Come back the next day, be like, okay, I'm going to do it, not do it. And then one day I show up and I don't know, conditions are better or I've done something during the day before or like something during the day that you know gave me a little confidence boost you're in the right mental head and space. then i'm in the right mental space and i, I go for it but i've done whether it's you know gaps that i've done in whistler or in squamish or elsewhere like i mean sometimes i do countless of run-up and there's some features that i've never or some lines or some ideas that i've had that i've never done mm-hmm. and i've done and the worst as a run-in where you have to sprint to yeah especially in the bike park yeah I've done a few of those where you just pedal as hard as you can do a run in you're like ah, I don't know you, if you I have, have to speed. commit from a point where there's a no return point yeah and then that you, is scary and then you end up like doing you know 10 run-ins but essentially you've been doing 10 sprints of 30 seconds and, and you're going uh, <gasps> and the more you do it the slower you go <laughs> yeah yeah so do you ever or have you ever put a rule into place where like hey if I do more than five run-ups to this like it's probably not a good idea for me to hit it no because I feel the more run-up I do the more experience I get on the run-in on the line and you know sometimes I do 10 run-ins yeah and then I'm like doesn't feel right what can I do in order to maybe change my trajectory a little bit or instead of taking the speed from the you know inside of that corner maybe I should switch it up and go on the outside of the corner so maybe I can more momentum and, be yeah. like a little bit more in line or you know be a bit more stable on my bike before I do before I take off and so I do as much running as you know I feel like I need to do in order to successfully yeah do the feature many 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 years ago <laughs> my buddy Wayne and I we used to hit lots of jumps and drops and we would do stuff like we would spend days building things in the woods to hit, you know, the next week after that. It was it was a lot of fun. Um, and uh, years ago, we were driving we were driving to a spot, and we got there a huge drop, and we did a bunch of run ups, and he hit it, and I did like, dude, like thirty run ups. And I remember I didn't end up doing it, and it was like a shift for me. Then it was like, you know what, this isn't fun. Like I'm fucking scared all the time. Like because I. Used, like you call stuff out that you want to do, you know, momentum and, and get helps you do it. How fun is it really like to do this scary shit, man? Like the day before you do a move, like some of that stuff, like, are you having fun? Are you scared? 
That's a good question. Um, no, I'm not really having fun when pushing my limits. Yeah. Like, you, you get that reward feeling. Exactly. But it's not... I don't really get fun from pushing, you know, pushing to my limits. And that's mm -hmm. what happened to me when, you know, like, for example, racing World Cups. Like, I mean, those guys push their limits. Uh, and, you know, when I got there and I'm like, if I have to ride as fast as I can for like four minutes on an early track, mm -hmm. like there is no time where I have fun. Yeah. At the same time, though, riding the track at 80%, And then having fun, you know, not feeling like you're at your limits, then that's something I re and that's what that's why I like biking yeah. and racing. You have to be at the limit all the time, and I I hate it. Yeah. And like I really hate feeling that I'm out of control, and that's also I guess why I have that style of being like super uh, precise and smooth is because I absolutely hate being borderline. You know, mm -hmm. I don't enjoy the feeling of you know, being basically on the edge. Um, it's not something that, and it's not something I want to promote either. I mean, it looks really cool. Yeah. And when I see other people doing it, I'm stoked. When I see Brague, you know, coming way too fast on the corner and still making, yeah. still making the corner fine, I think it's awesome. But uh, it's not something I want to be doing because like, I'm, I'm scared. Your brake control, I just, I just feel like I'm like, blowing the smoke directly up your asshole right now but your brake control even like imagine like a walk up discipline where you have to go as slow as you can <laughs> you know we'd be so good <laughs> i feel like yeah I'll, i'll have a i'll have a pretty good carry out that yeah um uh before you got here earlier today i was watching a video of you i think it's into the nar it's with uh borelli yeah and steve uh what's the line uh Wild fry, spicy fry, spicy, spicy Wi-Fi or something, spicy fly, spicy fly. I was I was watching you guys talk about the run in. You spent ten or fifteen on camera, ten or fifteen minutes evaluating the run in, talking about stuff, and it brought me back to those days back in the day with Wayne. And it was it was so cool to to see that. And so we just talked about you being scared and not having fun on one hand, but there is also this element of like you go out with your buddies and like. I mean, it's big and it's scary, but dude, that looks like fun. Yeah, pushing no, yourselves no, that, together. You know, that was fun. Uh, that day was that day was, was was pretty cool. So you know, obviously everything was was planned. We're supposed to check out that feature. Steve had done it before, but Johan and I had never. Yeah, I had looked at it. Um, obviously, I didn't want to. I didn't want to jump it or do it without uh, you know Steve and Johan because that's that was the idea of the video. Is, Steve shows the feature to Johan and I, what was Johan's video, but I felt confidence. That feature didn't put me... I mean, Steve does insane stuff. But out of all of his features, I felt like this one was the one that was the most on par with what I'm good at. Yeah. You had braking control. You had like a drop with like a downhill takeoff. You had to be precise on the landing and then you had to be good with your brakes, which is what I like to think I'm good. And so... I wasn't I wasn't too worried about that feature, but going to the feature we were some trails and Steve is like Oh Johan said Oh there is like a little uh, step down at some point. <laughs> you should you should stop and look at it. And then he goes Red flags. And then and then he goes like No Steve says you should stop and look at it if you've never seen it. Mm -hmm. And Johan is like, ah no, it's fine, just follow me. And I follow Johan and I, I feel like Johan is not 
super confident of where he's on the trail. He's kind of wild. <laughs> yeah, he's wild. And so anyway, and I'm like, I, I should stop. <laughs> but I was already committed and I kind of put my front wheel onto the drop and basically, basically I, I had passed the point of non-return but still yeah. tried to stop. And uh, yeah, I had a little bit of a crash. And then hiking up to that feature, I had already done the feature and I put my bike on the back like I normally do and climbing up was super gnarly. And I had my full face helmet on. Yeah. And as I'm climbing up, I my foot slipped and I face planted on the rock oh, no. with my bike on the back. And my bike, you know, basically hit my head, fell. And I had that like pretty gnarly crash of hiking up to the feature. Yeah. And uh, that was the scariest part of the day for me was to actually climb up the feature, not, not the actual ride down. When was the last time you were really scared on a bike that we could talk about? <laughs> Um, I mean, I'm I'm often really scared. Um, when was the last time? I mean, any time I film something that's where I'm gonna push, yeah. you know, to get a cool clip, most likely I'm scared. Okay, but what about just going for a bike ride? If I go on a bike ride with my friends, I, I usually don't push myself at all. Yeah, you know, I ride at a very comfortable pace, a pace where you know most likely I'm not gonna make a mistake. Yeah, and uh, and it's really about. I'm trying to have fun, you know. Work on having good body position, being very precise. Make sure that you know hit the brakes at the right time. I look ahead, and carry speed out of the corner. Pump at the right time. Hmm. You know, I I very I really conscious don't, and deliberate. Yeah, I really don't push myself unless I'm filming. Interesting. Normally. Yeah. Yeah, like I, I really like I absolutely love riding my bike at that you know seventy percent speed, where, you know everything flows well. You yeah. do every single move perfect. You know you hit your brakes before the corner, you pump at the right time. Like you scrub the jumps the way you should. You land absolutely at the perfect spot. That's what I like. When you when I really push, obviously everything becomes harder. You know yeah. it's harder to dial your braking. And to break at the exact perfect spot, it's harder to land at the perfect spot. Everything becomes harder when you go faster. Yeah, so just and go slower. So I, I just love going slower. <laughs> doesn't look. But it it doesn't it doesn't look that cool on video. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, what, what was it like to shoot with the the drone racing champion? How, okay, first of all, how did that come about? Did you reach out or did they reach out? No. So what? the first time, I did uh, my first you know drone video was two years ago. Yeah, two years ago. Yeah. And this guy, Raphael, lives in Squamish and, you know, flies drone for a living. And uh, it's, you know, when COVID, like, started. So that was, like, a few months later when, when we were allowed to, you know, go out and and ride bikes, basically. And he messages me and is like, hey, I, you know, I've got that new setup. I'd love to try it. I've got a bunch of projects that got canceled due to COVID. Are you, are you keen on on trying that and I'm like yeah I would love to I had seen some videos before and you know I thought it was really really cool and I've always wanted to have some footage of you know trail riding with yeah. with a drone anyway we went and I had no expectation it turned out the guy was really really good yeah good <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and that was that was really fun because you actually ride you know so some videos like you do a shred it and sometimes the clip is one second long. oh yeah we're going to talk all about shooting and all that and so yeah. But the drone video, like you see me ride the bike for thirty seconds long. So obviously you have to you have to ride a bit slower uh, because, yeah. I mean, the riding has to be great, obviously. So if you ride to your absolute limits, 
you are likely to make mistakes and you know blow a corner and stuff, especially because I was riding difficult trails. Yeah. Um, and same for the draw, not so. You know, sometimes it can take quite a few takes. So, you know, if you do the same section of trail ten times, and you go at your limit ten times, and the one time the drone get it perfect, you make yeah. a mistake. Uh, you know, that gets that gets uh, pretty long. So, but yeah, I was you know had a lot of fun. It was well received. Then we did another video in Sun Peaks, and then this year uh, it wasn't available, and so he sent me. He's like, oh, you should, uh, you should message uh, this guy. It'll be, it'll be a, a really good fit. Message the guy, and you know, we we agree on everything. And I didn't even know, but turns out it was kind of a big deal because he was two times this world champion of uh, drone racing. Oh, nice. And uh, yeah, not exactly was... slumming. No, no, no. And uh, yeah, uh, that that was awesome. It's it's been really fun filming with the drone. I I really enjoy it, and I'll do it again. How distracting is it? You're you're riding lines that like. They're pretty gnarly freaking lines. How distracting is it to hear? Well, that's yeah. No, so so it's funny because the noise changes as the speed of the drone increases or decreases, mm-hmm. and sometimes you expect the drone to slow down. Let's say you know I'm approaching a very slow technical drop and I'm myself breaking. I hear the drone also breaking, but what's uh, what's a bit like. Um, what can be a bit tricky is when you hear the drone making a sound that it should not do because sometimes, you know, maybe he accelerated a bit too Panicking. fast, so he yeah. corrects. And then you're like, should I stop or should I keep going? Because, like, is the shot going to be right. garbage or is it actually good? Yeah. And a few times I would stop thinking that the drone made a mistake, but then with everything you can do, like with the new GoPros, with the stabilization, like with Real Steady, like the amount that you can correct in post-production yeah. is, is so impressive that a lot of times the drone can make mistakes and, and no one would be able to tell on the footage. Some of those shots were amazing. Like like you said, like usually our sh- the shots are pretty quick, but watching you, like first of all, the drone will be coming down a trail and we don't see you at all. And then he turns onto the trail and you come out in front of the drone. He follows you for... You know, three, five hundred feet, and then you come to an intersection, and the drone turns off. It's such like a neat, dynamic, and interesting way to yeah. So, it, to so it's it's actually really cool because the same way that I will look at the trail, you know, let's say I'm gonna film the trail, I'll drop my bike on top, I'll walk, yeah. I'll study option of lines, um, you know, I'll see, you know, do I want to go and hit this drop or do I want to stay, you know, on this section of the trail? And uh, it does exactly the same. Yeah. But he doesn't walk the trail, he flies the trail. That and is then, fun for him too. Yeah, and then when it's a high risk or when it's a long hike, uh, I basically watch him fly the drone and I tell him, I think you go too fast. I'm actually riding slower than what you are flying the drone. Yeah. Or I tell him, actually, I go faster than this. And so then, visually, I have a pretty good idea of, you know, if the drone will be able to keep up with me. Obviously, mm-hmm. he's got a camera, so he can actually see and adapt. But we try to maximize, to, again, put, you know, all the chances on our side to, to get the shots as fast as possible. Yeah. So it's better to take, you know, uh, a few minutes. So he flies the line several times. Yeah. And then... As soon as we think that the line, that his speed and his trajectory is dialed, then I go and, and then we review the footage and and we go from there. But I'm extremely like picky with my riding. 
Yeah. And so so he is with 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 the flying. When you say that, do you mean that like you may film something and you watch it and you know the shot is great and everything is fine but like when you say you picky like you do you mean like oh you don't like like your knees are out or Yeah, exactly. Exactly like that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I but it's funny cuz I don't even need to watch the footage. You know. Like I know exactly when I make a mistake. I can do a scrub. I'm mean, like my knees were too far too far apart. You know, my knee, my right knee. Preach into the choir, Remy. <laughs> like my right knee, my right knee should be pushing down the frame. Yeah. Or like my heel should, you know, should stay low. Or like my elbow should be more out. And, yeah. you know, I wasn't, lo- or maybe my head bubbled a little bit, you know, on a big impact. Uh, I'd like, if, you know, if I get a bit of a head slap or anything like that. And I, I just want to promote the best, like I want to promote the best riding possible. And, you know, obviously I make mistakes and, and that's how I progress. And I like to show, especially on YouTube videos, I like to show the process. And, you know, you yeah. see me... It's interesting. Yeah, see. like you see me fading and you see me like, you know, you can tell by the fifth time I do it, I do it much better than the first time. Yeah. And because it's the same for everybody who rides, right? Yeah. You hit a drop once, yeah, you might jump it okay. But if you do it five times in a row... You, you know, know the speed. It's obviously, good. you know the speed. You're more confident. You're more relaxed. So it's exactly the same with uh, it's exactly the same with with filming. So usually, the more I do it, not always, but the more I do it, usually the better. Yeah. And so it's just trying to like push myself so I can progress, and then I can actually ride, you know, better, faster, but also safer. Yeah. So analytical. It's really starting to feel like winter around here, and I know that most people think of mountain biking when they think of trail forks, but there's also a ton of features and layers geared towards winter activities like fat biking, Nordic skiing, snowshoeing, and even snowmobiling. Right now, you can get global access to the app with 30% off for our final sale of the holidays. If you're heading out for fat biking or Nordic skiing, you can use the snow grooming layer to find trails nearby. You can also check out this snow forecast right in the app see slope angle and the avalanche forecast, and filter the map for whatever kind of winter activity you've got planned for the day. And of course, you get favorite features like the popularity heat map and trail reports. This 30% off deal is for Trail Forks Pro with Outside Plus. So you also get all the goods from the outside network. Unlimited digital content, films and TV shows, and expert-led online courses. Get it for yourself or gift it to your buddies without worrying about shipping it. Find out more and get 30% off for a limited time at trailforks.com slash podcast. Uh, what, do you, what do you call yourself? What is your job title? Like, would you... Okay, let me make a ding sound when I get to the right one. Um, content creator. Yeah, correct. Ambassador? Correct. Pro freerider. Correct. Uh, mountain biker. Correct. Okay. Let's let's talk about creating content because this this stuff doesn't come easy. Like I'm out there, I'm making videos and photo shoots and like doing that kind of stuff. And man, sometimes like those days are long, long days. Can you for for like a semi-involved shoot of some sort? What sort of planning goes into this? Like you're hiring a videographer, I assume, and scoping it out takes days, weeks. What happens? So every every provider has got like a, a different approach. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, you got the guys who do two videos a year, two amazing videos a year. Obviously, they spend way more time than I would for planning, um, you know, building, waiting for the correct lights, uh, you know, trying stuff. And then obviously it takes much, much longer. Mm-hmm. Now I'm, you know, basically putting out one video a week on YouTube. Plus all the clips that I put on social media, plus all the other duties I have. It's 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 a lot of things to do. So... I usually put, you know, one video on YouTube is usually one day of filming. But there's way more to it than that. Well, then, there's the one that I edit myself. And, you know, I'm not very good with technology, so yeah, I'm not very efficient. Yeah, What I could do in six hours probably takes me 12 hours. Yeah. Um, so you got the planning, which is, you know, who am I going to film with? Where? You know, when is a good time to do that? And, you know, is there more stuff to consider? Then the actual, you know, getting to the place, filming. Yeah. Which is most of the time, you know, it's it's a big day. And then going back home, checking out all the footage, editing. And then following that, there is, you know, posting it on, having it ready for YouTube, having it, you know, ready for all my partners. So... Sending out, you know, a weekly email to all the sponsors. How many how many pro free riders do you think are sending weekly emails to their sponsors, Remy? Fortunately for me, not many. Yeah, exactly, right? I we both know a person who um deals with one of your sponsors and, and they told me a little bit about working with you. And they said that you are crazy professional. You you reach out when you're supposed to, you're doing the things you're supposed to do. I'm not trying to sell you here to any other freaking sponsors that are listening. I don't care. But but my, my point is here, you're I think you from my perspective, it almost looks like you're doing this free ridey thing like super professional. You know, where maybe some other free riders don't even know what a freaking Google Doc is. Like, can you speak to that a bit? Yeah, well so first of all, I you know, I've done a business school and I always wanted to work in the industry as my dream job was to be a product manager because I was like, I'm not good enough to be a pro mountain biker. And even though that sounds pretty cool, realistically, I'm not going to be a pro mountain biker, but I love biking and, you know, I'd rather help develop bikes and sell bikes than vacuum cleaners or, you know, whatever it might be. And so I've always wanted to work in the bike industry. And when I got to Whistler, you know, I'd, from the start, or even back in France, I tried to be super professional about everything I was doing, you know, regarding biking, like whereas it's videos, social media, just so people could see that and on my professional resumes that could help me to get a job. Mm-hmm. Turns out my English was so bad <laughs> 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 that maybe I could have got a job for a French company, but that would have been it. And... um yeah, so I've always wanted to be super professional and it's just because I think that makes it nicer for partners to, to work with me. If I make their job easy, then, you know, hopefully they've got less time to, you know, deal with me and everything is easier for everybody. And at the same time now, it's like the least amount of time I spend chatting with partners for, you know, planning videos or, you know, if they ask me, like, oh, can you send me that? Or, 
you know, the more efficient I am, the more time I have for myself to create content, to ride my bike, but also to hang out with my friend and, and do the stuff I like to do outside of, of biking, right? So it makes it, I think, better for sponsors and also better for myself. So that's kind of my my strategy now. That's, mine is similar, just like, don't cause any headaches, you know, just be invisible, just do your job. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, yeah, I try to be very proactive with sponsors. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, I know that I appear to be like pretty commercial compared to other riders. But the reason why I'm able to do that is because I have sponsors pay me. Yeah. Without the sponsor paying me, I would not be bothering like pushing my bike up and down 17 times to get one shot. And I mean, let's like real talk for a second. Like you're doing dangerous shit. And I feel like if you're doing really dangerous stuff and somebody wants to pay you some good money to do it, you should be taking advantage of that while you can. Remy yeah, it's, well, you know, it's, a, you know, it's, it's a short career, relatively speaking. It yeah, can it's, be. it can be a very short career. Um, and, you know, it can end at any time. And, um, you know, I try to look at the future and yeah. I'll always be connected uh, to the industry. But I feel like, you know, from like a business point of view, by being like very professional and trying to do the job well, you also learn a lot and not just about, you know, riding bikes and... Right. You learn, I learned so much from, you know, dealing with people in different languages because I did, you know, in Spanish, French, and English. So now I speak like three languages. Well, you could argue that... Is English better than Spanish or Spanish better than English? I think my uh, my accent is definitely much better in Spanish. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, I, I learned a lot of stuff. And I think like for, you know, whatever career I might have after, yeah. I think it's just been, you know, really good. And it's... Um, yeah, I think it's it just makes it super na- like the thing I enjoy about sponsorship is dealing with people and the relationship with yeah. with sponsors. Like some of my sponsors became my friends, and you just want you know that work relationship to really flow. And when you get an email from a sponsor, you you want to be like, oh sweet, I got an email from you know this company. And it, like it should be easy and work. it should be like yeah, nice. Yeah, you know, when you get on the phone with you know, one of the company you work with and, you know, whether it's to, you know, ask if you want to do like a shoot or, you know, if they can send you a new product because they want your, your feedback or your input on it or, or whatever it might be like, you know, it should feel like, like you want to be stuck. It's a partnership. Yeah. You know, it should feel like a partnership and not a job is kind of what I'm yeah, getting exactly, at yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Well, speaking of jobs and careers and short lived, there was some recent news. Specialized cut their ambassador program. I think all of them. There was there was a bunch of them. I think um, lots of changes post COVID. Reactions, maybe overreactions. I don't know. You know, it's a tricky time with the business stuff. For someone coming in now and wanting to do kind of what you do, be online uh, an ambassador or a content creator, what sort of advice would you give them in this climate? Given that people are cutting their programs. Well, since since marketing budgets are going down, um, I think there's going to be even more evaluation and comparison between riders. Mm-hmm. So I think like each company is going to look at each riders and be like, okay, we've got person A, uh, um, person A, person B, and person C. Like, which one? is the easiest to work with which one produces the most 
valuable content or results for us. You know, which one is, you know, produces the best um, feedback for Make our product. Make yourself valuable. And I think it's really, you know, going to come down to that. And if you don't perform, and it, it doesn't have to be how fast you're on the bike. It's like if you don't perform, like if you don't respect uh, deliverables or if you haven't done anything that brings value to companies, I think it's it's going to be obviously more difficult. Um, so like my advice would be to, you know, I, I'm I'm going to keep working really hard uh, regardless what's happening in the industry and uh, try to be professional and push myself and put out content that can be valuable for, you know, the brands that are behind me, but obviously also for the people who are watching my videos. Because at the end of the day, it's like if I'm business and the customers are my viewers and, uh, and you know, brands are basically providers. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I think like the only real tip is to you know work hard and try to make yourself as valuable as you can for the people who support you or or simply the brands that you are trying to work with because you know if someone who is starting doesn't necessarily have um, a bike sponsor yet or a helmet sponsor deal or or you know a component sponsor it's you know how can you how can you attract those companies despite the fact that the economy is, you know, taking a bit of a hit? At the same time, like how much of a hit is the economy taking? Mm-hmm. Are we back to post-COVID numbers? Like, you tell me. Yeah, I don't know. I'd like to be a fly on the wall in some of those rooms where they're making decisions like that because for years we've heard how valuable that sort of content is. And, like, I'm not... I'm not criticizing specialized decisions. I mean, I don't know any of their details, obviously. Like, there's reasons that they make those decisions. But I I thought this sort of content was very valuable. You know, is it more valuable than race results still? Or was it ever? You know, like, there's brands that value this stuff differently, I guess. But, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting, like, regardless of, of what's happening now. I, I think there is, like, uh, a place for everybody on, on the market. And... I see some content of, you know, the fastest guys in, and and women obviously in the world, and I think it's super rad. Yeah. And I love seeing that, and I want to see it again. Um, there's some people who make, you know, super informative videos that are not necessarily super good writers, but they have really good tip and they take you to, you know, a cool location of just simply like great tips that could be like how to set up your garage or. Um, that have a ton of value. And I watch that for other hobbies. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's, you know, when I I just bought a surfboard and I was considering if I should go four fins or three fins, I watched a YouTube video from a random guy, but he had great explanation. His video was really well done. Yeah. I got answers to all my questions. And, you know, it was not Kelly's letter. So, and those Kelly's letter you know, provide that kind of content? Probably not because he's, you know, he's busy and he's got an amazing career. But if you need that kind of content, where can you find it? Someone yeah. has to make it. And so, yeah, I think it's place for everybody. And it's, uh, it's, it's cool to hear you say that, that like the guy out there doing some of the gnarliest stuff is here saying, well, you don't have to do the gnarliest stuff. Just make yourself valuable, you know, make yourself worth something. Well, create it, the service or provide the service, you know, for the people. Well, you know, the 
the best of you see is that if you can, if you can do it all yeah but can you do it all like can someone like Loic Bruni also take the time to do a video on YouTube on how to set up his bike yeah and you know he's got amazing knowledge about everything but does he have the time to do it yeah. and that's the thing right like, you can't be good at everything like he has to train like every day he's gonna spend you know X amount of time at the gym then he has to go and ride his bike and then obviously he wants to have some fun so he's gonna go and ski and ride his moto or whatever but like doing those YouTube videos take a lot of time and obviously the more income you have the more you can pay people to do it so then you know he potentially could pay someone to film everything someone else to edit someone else to send um you know to to organize like all the promotion of the content but that still takes a lot of time it's still time for him to you know be available organize everything plan everything it's yeah. more stress yeah it could be more money but it's also more stress and and so yeah you have to factor the you know the time part Let's switch gears. Do you want to talk about bike gear? Maybe some like suspension yeah. and brakes. And I know you're a bit of a dork like that. <laughs> ask me I, anything. I want to. Well, yeah. First, I want to ask you about Rampage though, because you rode, you did a run clipped in, and you did a run on platforms. What are you doing, you wild man? Why did you do that? So I ride very little with flat pedals, and so at Rampage, obviously, you know, for those big drops where there's a ton of uncertainty on like, you know, the speed and everything. If you have to jump off the bike, which I've never done, by the way, <laughs> I have never jumped off my bike in the air. So as always... You don't need to because you're landing exactly where you're supposed to, Remy. <laughs> I usually I usually muscle up at the landing. So even if I come short or long, I'm like... Yeah. I commit. just... I just... <laughs> I just I, Flex! <laughs> I just commit. I think the most impressive stuff I've ever done at Rampage was casing that huge canyon gap I, I built in 2018. Yeah. Bas van Steenbergen and I were sharing the bottom part and yeah. we had built that, that line. We kind of got on an argument because I felt like he was not putting as much work as I was to build the jump. And I was like, well, you know what? I'm going to build it, but you jump it first. <laughs> and he didn't want to jump it first. Neither did I, but I was like, well, fuck, no one's going to jump it first. So I thought I had it and I went as fast as I could, but I was a poor, I mean, a Compared to most of those guys, I was a very poor trail builder or like jump builder because it's not trail building that you do up there. It's yeah. just building massive jumps. Anyway, I did my best, but still, I cased that jump and it was like 60 footer and I 50 50 it. <laughs> and it was at the time where I was, I was strong. I was doing a lot of gym and in the air, I was like, no way I'm crashing. I'm not crashing. I didn't come all the way down here to crash. You just decide not to. <laughs> and I remember taking the impact. And uh, and I just like bounced and I had flat pedals and I like bottom out everything, put the yeah. cranks on the on the landing, and pull the bike with me and jump an extra like twenty feet to flat, <laughs> and nothing happened, and I was like, oh, wow! I like that you just decided you're not going to case. I it. felt like everybody would have jumped off the bike, but I was like, I don't know how to jump off the bike. Like I've I've never done it. Yeah, well, if you're locked in, like why would you? Ah, some people do. When with clip pedals, yeah. I feel like I need to go on an airbag and try. Yeah. So you were at Rampage, you were more comfortable clipped in than on platforms, obviously, I would imagine. Well, so I rode flat pedals for training and qualifying in every year I went. Yeah. But then I would go, you know, once I'd done the jump, I would switch to clip pedals 
What? So wait, you tr- you do the runs on platforms and then you put on clipless pedals for the competition? I, I'm more confident on clips and it's simply because I never ride flats anymore. So I guess you what you're saying is you want like the the platforms give you a way out when you are testing the lines. Yes. And then you're clipped in to be more committed for the run. Yeah, I'm clipped in because I can be more precise, like more powerful. You know, if I need to send, like if I need to, for example, that that road gap uh, with clip pedals, I jump further. And I think it's because I was able to push more on the bike. And I mean, you could do the same with flat pedals. It's just that the amount of hours I spent on flat pedals each year is probably, especially leading to rampage, I probably spent 45 minutes riding flat pedals since the previous year on an entire year. So I, I haven't used platforms in, I don't know, like months and months and months. And if I had to go for a ride tomorrow on my mountain bike with platform pedals, I'd be nervous. <laughs> You're at Rampage. Yeah, but it's, you know, and, and your bike setup is so different because it's yeah. so stiff. So you don't even have the small bumps that you would normally have. That's so it's not true. it's not even like riding your normal setup on flat pedals. It's you're riding like... Are you slowing your rebound way down? Yeah, you do slow down the rebound. Like traction doesn't really... The only traction you get at rampage is from the tires, basically, because yeah. your suspension doesn't even work. Just try to turn to slow down sometimes. <coughs> and Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, it, your bike setup has, will be unrideable elsewhere. Yeah. Okay, well, let's let's talk bike setup, but not at rampage. Um, just in general, what are you looking for out of a bike like an everyday kind of bike. Like how much travel does your bike have that you go f- ride every day? You're not filming ridiculous stuff. Like ideal bike for me for every day, 160, 170. Okay. And what are you looking for out of that bike? Just in general terms, like do you want do you want something pointier because you are so precise or are you slack, long, all that? No, I like I like I'm like very precise with and and you know when signing with propane, like it was really driven by the product. So like I look at the geometry of the bikes and you know how I can configure it. Suspension platform is very important obviously, but you can't really I mean you can you can change it. You can like modify how the suspension work with the actual suspension. Mm-hmm. If you go if the bike is a bit linear, well you can put an air shock and some volume spacer, right? But if the bike is too short or too long, <laughs> there's not much you can do so now with headset like so i use works component uh, headset and you know i can run like a reach adjuster and sometimes those five millimeter reach adjuster it can make the difference between that bike is perfect for me or i wish that bike was five millimeter longer and yeah. so for me that's been like really important so i look at the geometry um reach obviously but I also look at chain stays and wheelbase. Yeah, chain stays and wheelbase are huge. Um, head tube angle, head tube angle. I mean, if the wheelbase and the reach and the chain stays are the number you want, most likely your head tube angle is also correct. Yeah. So my head tube angle is you know basically sixty four. Um, wheelbase twelve thirty twelve thirty five is where I'm happy, and uh, and reach, you know. Basically, 450, 455. Short. How tall are you? I'm 5'7". No, you're not. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you I'm 5'7". On, <laughs> on a good I day. I watch one of your videos. I think you're 6'2". That's the difference. <laughs> Shit. Yeah. Okay, well, that makes that makes complete sense then. Yeah. yeah. No, I, and uh, 
going to propane, they use longer chain stays than what I had in the past. And that's, I mean, funnily, when I came to Whistler, my first bike in Canada, my first downhill bike, so I used to have specialized demo at the time, which I, I really liked. I also didn't have much comparison because that's all I'd been riding. At the time, the chain stay were 425. I remember those days. On the, you know, on the Samil. Because when Samil came on Specialized, he was like, oh, I want short stay. So he went to 420. And yes, yeah, the bike will turn really well, but it also had 26-inch wheels. And when I came to Canada, I got offered a deal on a, on a Giant. And my big issue was that the chain stays were 445. And I was like, I don't want a bot. And, but anyway, it's kind of the only option I had. Yeah. <laughs> so I took it. And turned out I really liked the long chain stays. Yeah. I felt very centered on the bike and I really liked it. I felt like it helped me uh, to correct some weakness I had, which was like, you know, maybe committing on rock gardens and stuff like that. Yeah. So that's why I feel like I'm pretty weak. And having a longer rear end actually helped me. And moving the bike around has always been my strength. So having a longer bike or longer chance state doesn't really phase me. I found a similar thing over the last few years as well, too. I used to love short bikes. Like in my head, it was like, I love a short bike because I like to, you know, skid and fuck around and like, I don't really care how fast I'm going. Like, woo, playful. And then all these bikes started to get long. And I started riding these longer and longer bikes. And I found that a bike with like a 450 rear end or whatever, you know, 445, 450, and a 480-ish or even more front end, it was still playful because I had way more confidence in the bike because the bike has more stability and because I had more confidence in the bike I ended up sliding around way more on purpose and having more like more energy to the ride because the bike is bigger even though it's kind of counterintuitive does that make sense yeah no it does like I think like confidence is absolute key and you know you, you got to do whatever it takes with your bike setup to feel confident and sometimes it's not you know, you, someone else could have, you know, or, or your friends or even a company could be, uh, you, should, you should be running your suspension or or your tires like different. You sh- but if you're not confident, yeah, like I used to run my, at the time I, when I went actually to Monsantan, I, so I had some Fox suspensions that I got through Vorsprung in, in Whistler. And uh, I had a setting that I was really happy with. I had done the settings with, Vosprong actually and we had a setup that I loved I was really happy with and I, when I went to Mont actually um, guy from Fox Jordi I believe uh, looked at my bike and was no one runs as much compression as you do the guys like it with you know less com- less high speed and and I did it it just didn't didn't really work for me like mm-hmm. it didn't really like it didn't make me feel confident you know, exactly. like basically more air, less compression. And I felt like, I mean, I understand that mechanically, technically it would be better. Yeah. But, you know, it, on like super fast, super fast and rough stuff, like I understand it would, it, it should be better. Yeah. But when I was riding and when I was coming to like a difficult section, when you had like a, a gap or like a gnarly, I didn't feel confident. So leading to the gap, I'll be like more nervous. Mm-hmm. After the gap, thinking about the next gap, I'll be like more tight. And yes, it just didn't really, that, that was not really working out for me. So for me, it's finding a setup that makes me feel confident. 
I love that you said that. I know that you've already heard a little bit about Trail Forks from me, but it is our final sale of the holidays, and I don't want you to miss out on the 30% off deal. On top of global access to the Trail Forks app, this subscription also comes with Outside Plus, and that means that you get benefits across the entire Outside network. And as a member, you're supporting incredible projects like Pink Bike Racing. If you haven't checked out Season 3 on Outside Watch yet, I highly recommend it. It is my kind of reality TV with 10 mountain bikers competing for $30,000 and a pro contract. Outside Watch also has more than 600 hours of member-only content, including every Warren Miller film ever made. And you get full access with Outside Plus. Now, I know what I'm doing over the holidays. This is our last sale of the holidays, so get it for yourself or gift it to your buddies. And by the way, you don't even need to worry about shipping. Find out more and get 30% off for a limited time at trailforks.com slash podcast. So I test a lot of bikes. I test a lot of bikes with Casimir and other editors, and I consistently run my rebound speeds like a couple clicks slower. And I think that's come from riding a zillion different bikes over the last 15 years. Like literally every month was a different bike, if not even more than that, and trying to test these things and hit jumps and still ride all the trails that I liked. And I found that when I slowed the rebound down, balanced on both ends, I had way more control and confidence in the bike. And I think that comes from all these bikes were different lengths. And when you're jumping or riding quickly on bikes of different lengths, wheelbases and especially rear ends, things are all different. You know, different, the lips are different lengths, the bikes are different lengths. And that slower rebound, little slower rebound, not crazy slow, but it gave me the confidence and it just felt like I was way more relaxed. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're less likely to scare yourself with a slow rebound yeah. than you are with a fast rebound. You know, you see a lot of crashes where people just bounce. And that could be because they run a bit of too fast of a rebound. Whereas when your rebound is a bit too slow, yeah. you might not get the best performance out of your bike. You might not get the best traction because the suspension don't have time to come back to eh. its initial position yeah. to, to take the next impact. But at the same time, your bike might be a little bit... Um, a little bit more predictable. Well, people talk about packing up. Most of the people aren't riding freaking Whistler laps day in, day out, and they're not packing up on their trails. And I think a lot of people could do with a little bit more control and predictability from their suspension, but obviously teach their own, you know. Let's let's talk brakes. What kind of brakes do you run? What do you want in your brakes? Ace Dominion A4. Sintered brake pads. I, I mean, they were... They were a component of the on pink bike, yeah. if I remember, yeah, in 2019. It's, I mean, it's funny, but like everybody who sees my bike, the first thing they want to touch on the bike is the brakes. Mm -hmm. Like before, you know, sitting on the bike and boxing the suspension or like, it's they want to press on the brake lever. Because I think genuinely people can tell how happy I am with the product. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, they've had reviews and I became a better rider since I'm on those brakes. You can look on my content. There's not one video where I do nose manual before I switch to haze. You do some ridiculous nose manuals. Yeah, but I, I, I had never really done it before yeah. switching to haze. And, you know, the, the brake have the power and the modulation 
also the consistency that's required to be on your front wheel for like 20 seconds because you know your brakes becomes like incredibly hot yeah and when i do like in an hour to the absolute bottom like the feel at the bottom is exactly the same than at the top and yeah i run the center brake pads two or three millimeter disc front and rear Ace actually sent me some 220s but just just to try yeah. and i actually never uh installed them you're a fairly light guy yeah i'm 62 kilos i don't know what that means, 140 but... pounds okay yes well, depending, I, um, you know, I have a, a bit of a weakness in yeah, life. We're is, going into the off season here. Is, uh, <laughs> is food. That's by far my favorite thing in the world is eating. Yeah. So I do eat a ton. Yeah. I always impress people not by how fast I can ride a bike, but by how much I can eat. Your hollow legs. So, <laughs> so I do. I do eat a lot. So I, I fluctuate a lot. Yeah. Within a couple of days, um, but. Yeah, so I've got some 220 discs and I actually never tried them because I've never found the need to yeah. to get more power. Obviously, I'm light. Uh, but, you know, I've been riding different brands before and a lot of brands make very powerful brakes. That's not what I'm after. But it's, you know, you want the combo between power, right. modulation and reliability. That's exactly it. Yeah, all out power. And is when not I say reliability, answer. I'm not talking about a brake that fails. Obviously no one wants a brake that fails. I'm talking about a brake that's consistent as you yeah. pull. That always bite at the same spot. And that's what I have with the Haze and you know, obviously they they are a partner and a great partner of mine. They, they've been awesome to deal with, but I genuinely absolutely love the product. And that's yeah. you know, I've Talking about that as a content creator slash freerider slash whatever, I can choose my partner. And that's what I love is I see a product I like on the market. Mm -hmm. If I want to represent the brand, it's because I like the product. I think it's a good product. I think it's going to fit me. And so I contact the brand. What component on your bike right now? is not covered by a sponsor that you went out and had to purchase or source yourself? Yeah, so drivetrain. Okay, what are you running I mean, when I, Sorry, when I say drivetrain, I only mean shifter and rear there because I do ride for KMC chains, Yeah. E13 for the cassettes, uh, and I've got rotor for the cranks. So my only the only part on the bike that I have to purchase, and I purchased it through a competitive cyclist of Backcountry, which is also a partner, um, is shifter and rear there what did you pick um got shimano because you know i've had shimano in the past and it's reliable it works well i've had that as a customer i've also had sram and i you know i yeah. really like sram but i i don't use sram in a, in a long time and it really came down to consistency between the bikes so i didn't really want to have sram on half of the bike shimano because you know obviously the shifting is slightly different yep and so I wanted to have the same shifter, same rear there on every bike. So I picked up Shimano. Um, they were in stock and, you know, I think they're a well-priced yeah. product. And Did you pick your suspension sponsor or does that come with propane? No, I picked them. I actually have been working with DVO since 2017. Yeah, okay. Which is before propane. So now I'm, I'm completely independent. Like propane has no say on what suspension or what brakes or what tires I run. Yeah. It's really like I'm the only one that chooses. Was that a conscious decision to go DVO? And was it because there's just less DVO out there? Yeah, I think it, it made a lot of sense back then. Like, um, you know, obviously there's a ton of, well, there's a lot of 
pretty good suspension out there. Um, but with DVO in my position, you know, I could be, well, I don't know. They never offered me a contract, but I could have been using Fox or RockShox and there would have been 50 other riders. Exactly. Yeah. Whereas DVO, there was less rider. I, I can have a tighter relationship. I actually deal with the owner and, and his son uh, primarily. Yeah. And if I have a question, I can call directly one of the engineers or like the head mechanic. And I'm like, hey, you know, I have this complaint. What do you suggest to improve it? Or I have this feedback. And I don't have to go through, you know, a ton of people to get to the answer. And it's it's something really important, especially for product as important as uh, frames, suspensions, um, you know, obviously tire, but I'm on Maxi's tire, so there's not much uh, to yeah. complain about. Uh, Are you running inserts doing all this shit out here? No. No so, inserts. Why no inserts, Remy? Because I never felt the... I understand the selling point of the insert, like the advantages that it brings, um, but I've never really felt the need for my use to run inserts. Uh, I've got those inserts in carbon wheels and I break one rim every two years on every bike I have. So it's like, you know, for the eight bikes I own, it's like... That's pretty fucking good considering what you're out there doing, Revy. I know, it's funny. when I, You know, when I read the comments on pink bike and people yeah. be like, oh yeah, you know, the inserts in aluminum wheels. I'm like, well, they are a cheaper, a cheaper wheel, right? Obviously, you buy the carbon ones that are more expensive, they're much stronger, but yeah. none of the teams, none of the riders have any complaint. Like, whereas it's uh, the intense team with Aaron Green and uh, Seth Sherlock, and you know, they've yeah. no complaint on the wheel. Neither does the NS team with uh, Fabien Cousinier and, and you know, Josh Brunningham and those guys. I, I know Fabien really well, and he's the team owner, and yeah. Yeah. he absolutely loves the wheels. Yeah. No one has complained with it, and I don't. You know, I, I I did crack one rim this year, and that's the first rim I cracked in two years. But it's because I was riding super low tire pressure, and I kept doing a gap, and I kept landing on a sharp rock, and I kept on going, and I kept on going, because I, I was filming, and I wanted to get the shot. Yeah. But I should have just put a little bit more tire pressure, and I just didn't because, you know, I was on a rush. Uh, we had, like, a time. It's cool to hear you say this, though. Just, I'm interrupting, but, like, even you're here and like thousands of people are going to listen to this and you're just like, Oh yeah, I broke one of the rims and like, this is well, what happens. And like, it's like, it's very, it's very honest. Like if you, you know, but other athletes don't, other athletes aren't that honest sometimes. Lots of them are, but, but some I, I think it will make like, it will be, um, how would you say that? Like, I think by being honest, about the product I ride and, you know, what I like and, you know, what I dislike, I actually help my sponsors to, you know, make better products and communicate on what's good and sort out what's bad. Mm -hmm. And, you know, with the wheels, like, like I never check the spoke tension because I never have a loose spoke. The only time I've had a loose spoke was because the wheel had been built in Squamish and they were not factory built. Mm -hmm. So I guess maybe the tension between the spoke was, you know, uneven or the Loctite that was used was not, was not correct or, you know, whatever it was. Uh, and so the first time I had, you know, a loose mm -hmm. puck. On the factory wheels I get, which is the same, the, it, it comes from the same stock than what the customer will get. Like, I've had no issue whatsoever. And when I did crack a rim, every single time I cracked a rim, 
And I've been on the carbon wheel since 2017. So it's been a lot of years, a lot of hours spent on the bike. Every single time was because I made a big mistake. I cased, you know, a big gap. Just holding on to the end. Oh, probably. you know, <laughs> I was I was riding and, and there is like one super sharp rock. And, you yeah. know, you go 70 kilometers on a fire road and you're like, dang. Like, you know, on the... nothing's nothing's going to survive. No, nothing something. is going to survive. Yeah. What What is the last mechanical you had on the trail when's the last time you broke something last mechanical um so i'm a terrible mechanic so when i do have something that's you know messes up with my gears yeah um i usually don't shift (laughs) (laughs) just single speed (laughs) single speed no uh, i can't remember i so it's funny you know when i came to whistler in 2013 i i had a little deal with shimano and I had got a kit of Shimano Z. That's when they launched the Shimano Z. So I had the Z brakes, transmission, and I, I used to crash a lot. Well, not not that much, but every time I crashed, I used to break uh, a brake uh, lever. A brake lever. Yeah. Shit. And I got sponsored in 2014. Ever since, I have never broken a brake lever. But then on my moto. <laughs> I'm world champion at breaking brake lever and clutch lever. Well, those are supposed I, to break, unfortunately. And I, and I pay for them. And every time I, I, I crash, yeah. I break a clutch lever or a brake lever. But on a mountain bike, no. Uh, no, I can't really... When the last, I, I have very, very, very few mechanicals. Yeah. Uh, this year, I did one tire slash, but we fixed it on the trail. Um, and, you know, I hit like a super sharp rock. Um... I mean, I've broken like the attack system on a time pedal, but it's because I did a big gap and I landed on a sharp rock. Yeah. And I, I'm actually blown away. I didn't, you know, bent a crank or bent the axle. Another jump, you should have exited the bike probably instead of hanging on to the uh, very no, end. No, this one, this one, I'm glad I, you know, <laughs> okay. I, I got the pedal to take the hit for me. Yeah. Uh, I was actually surprised I didn't break my ankle on the on the impact. Um, you have stayed like, I know you broke your back recently. Besides that, though, you've stayed crazy injury-free. What do you attribute that to? Um, being calculated on the trail. Being in control. So I, you know, I don't push myself as much as a lot of other riders. Yeah. But you know, as you see with the people getting hurt, like I mean, Johan is spin injury-free like forever. Like he did his knee. That's wild. But he did his knee, you know, going up something where you will not think you'll. He's also forty-seven. <laughs> I'm just joking, Yod. Oh, he's 37. <laughs> yeah, 37. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, he's not a. My point is, he's not a spring chicken. You know, no, and, no. And he's out there he's, sending he's, it. He's injury free. He's in great shape, and you know, it's all the cheese and all the bread and all the oh, wine. I'm doing it right then. Yeah, no, no. He's been. It's it's pretty impressive that his shoulder. He yeah. doesn't really have any uh, separated shoulder. He doesn't have the bump like every pro biker. How are you training specifically for the riding you're doing? Like I ask because when I watch you ride, you're landing these things. Your head is not smashing into the handlebar like I would. No, like I, you're I, staying calm and like you know, I, strong. I, I don't feel like I've never been like a strong pedaler, but like landing too flat, I feel pretty solid. <laughs> it looks like it. you look like a brick shit house, dude. When you land, no, like I'm you a, don't even move. Yeah, my my back. It's funny because the strongest part of my body is my back, and I managed to break it twice. Yeah, every time was you know. Uh, no, I do. I mean, I, I did. The first time I went to the gym was really in 2017 after I broke my bike in 2016. 
And the doctor told me that, you know, I, I will not be able to ride again at the same level. Like mm. I, my body won't be able to take impact. And I found it very pessimist because I was feeling pretty good. And uh, I started to go to the gym. I was like, I'm going to put all the chance on my side to recover well and not have any long-term issue with that. And so I've started to go to the gym and I really enjoyed going to gyms. I was going to Whistler Core and I had a great group of friends and we we're doing those mountain fit events. Yeah. Or like mountain, it, it was called mountain fit. So basically it's like the very basic um, workouts that you should be doing for skiing or biking in order to be fit, yeah. strong. Uh, so it had, you know, cardio core and weightlifting. But the weightlifting was, you know, all your basic like front squat, back squat, deadlift, bench press. Important basics. Yeah. And um, I kind of enjoyed it. And I enjoyed it because I was progressing. Also, I was coming out from, you know, three months of doing nothing. So obviously every day I was getting better. And um, yeah, I started to, I, I really enjoyed the progression I had. Mm-hmm. And then when I plateaued, <laughs> I, I just stopped. <laughs> <Do this. laughs> <laughs> I just stopped for a few years. Uh, but yeah, no, yeah, I, I did enjoy it. And and uh, I think like if you get a good base, it's easy to maintain. Yeah. So it's that momentum I find like when the season ends, I don't do much during the season. It's tough to like when you're riding a bunch and working a bunch, it's like, oh, whatever, you know, I don't need to do these fucking pushups. But when the season ends, if I can do it for two weeks in a row, I'll do it for the entire off season. It's yeah. that getting into that habit, you know, as, as they say. So, yeah. Yeah. The difference was before is that now I, I do work way more than I used to with like creating all that content. Like I spent you know, crazy amount of hours yeah. doing, you know, work stuff, essentially. Even though, you know, I ride a lot, there's a lot that goes with, because the more sponsor you have, like the more time you spend on your computer dealing with emails, product orders, yeah, keeping up with product feedbacks, you know, making sure that you do uh, all what is asked and, and more. And, you know, filming, editing, all that kind of stuff take a ton of time. And then when I have free time, instead of going to the gym, I'm like, well, I may as well do fun stuff. Exactly. So. Yeah. Well, speaking of fun stuff, before we get out of here, uh, what is in store next year for Remy? Uh, there's some sort of sponsor announcement coming up. When, when is that podcast coming out? I don't know. It depends when <laughs> it depends when it gets edited. Let's pretend that it's not coming out. Uh, let's say it's coming out next week. No, optimistic um, everybody. I've, I've been really happy with everybody I've worked with, and so I I, uh, I just resigned with. Um, well, it's been a while, but I resigned with propane. They've been. I went to see them in Germany, and uh, it was it it was a really good time. I keep everyone the same for good. now. Uh, there's a couple of question mark, but you know everything should be staying the same. I've yeah. been enjoying, you know. Well, because now I've been doing that for a while. So when there's a product I don't like, I usually figure out, you know, a while back. But no, everything has been working really good on the bike and everything is basically staying the same. Yeah. 2023, I'm sure you have some video plans that involve something ridiculous. I know you're not going <laughs> to tell me right now. But... Yeah, I would see. Okay. I would see. Plenty, right. plenty of cool stuff though. All right, Remy. Thanks so much for coming to hang out with me today in my shop. Uh, if I asked you to maybe answer some questions under this podcast that people ask you you might do that maybe i i can do that yeah oh great okay all right well let's call it there uh everybody 
post your questions down below and as always share the podcast if you like it and let us know what you want us to talk about in future episodes remy thanks again thanks for having me all right everybody see you later